Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. Join us now as Pastor Keith Moore shares today's message. Just a couple of months ago, Allison and I took our, our first trip uh, ever to New York City. We were with some friends, and um, I think they could tell that I might have been from out of town. Well, I was, um, but um, we had a great time there. We spent one morning, one entire morning at Ground Zero. And, uh, Bill, after I got over the, you know, the emotional part of that, uh, I began to be amazed at the construction project that's going on there now, the rebuilding. And the fact that rebuilding has been going on from, for quite a while now, and yet they're still down in a hole. And I realized, I was reminded that, Steve, you may could help me on this. I should have called you ahead of time. I should have called a builder. But am I right to say that the foundation of a building is the most important part of the structure? Is that, is that at least in the ballpark to say that? Okay, thanks. Thanks. Well, the foundation of any building does determine uh, not only its size, but also its strength. Uh, the same thing, I was reminded... Is true about you and me. Uh, it's true about our lives. A life that's built on a, a false foundation or a life that's built on a faulty foundation will never reach the height, the strength, the impact that God originally intended for that life to, um, to reach. Here's another way to look at it. If you skimp on your foundation for living, if you skimp, you limit your life. You limit your life. Now, I, I, I need to tell you about something. I, uh, for, for several months, starting back about this time last year, I began to have a concern. And then it became a nagging concern. Uh, then it became a reoccurring uneasiness. And usually when, it, when something like that happens, I begin to, to recognize after having tried to walk with God for the past 37 or 8 years that... Um, that this is probably a holy discontent. This is probably a discontent. Mark, you know what I'm talking about. This, this sense that, that, that God wants me to be aware of something. And here's the uneasiness. I, I, be, I began to be uneasy that maybe many of us in the Dogwood Church family have, have uh, skimped on our foundation. That we, have, uh, that we may be a little fuzzy about the Christian faith, about God, who He is, Jesus, uh, what what the, the faith that God has delivered to us in the Scriptures uh, is really all about. I, I fear that we don't have clarity on what we believe about God, about Christianity, and so, therefore, we can neither understand the Christian faith and live the life, nor can we articulate it, nor can we uh, defend it, nor can we give a reason for the hope that we have in us in, um, in Christ. And I think that's a problem. I mean, I have this troubling apprehension that we, uh, after 22 years of ministry here, at least in, the, in some sense, we might be the proverbial a mile wide and an inch deep. I don't think that's pleasing to God, and I don't think that's healthy for you and me. And so, with God's help, we're going to take a year and change all that. Uh, we're going to take the year of 2009 and do something significant. We're going to spend the year learning... Uh, for some of us relearning what God has to say about the, the foundation 
of Christianity, the foundational truths of the, uh, of the Christian life uh, and, and faith, what we believe, why we believe it. I mean, are there reasons for believing this? And, and if so, why is it important? So what? Why is it important? And then, then finally, so what should we do about it? How should I think and live? How should I be in this world in light of the fact that this is what we believe, this is why it's true, and that it's, that it's important? We're going to spend some time doing that. We're going to, we're going to take 11 four-week series of weekend services, and we're going to drill down on what the Bible says about, well, what God says about the Bible, what we believe about it, why, what's important, what we do about it. The Bible, what it says about God Himself, what it says about Jesus Christ, what it says about God the Holy Spirit, what it says about creation, what it says about salvation, what it says about, now here's a big Bible word, what it says about sanctification. That means what, what it says about God's process of life transformation and uh, spiritual maturity, uh, what it says about good and evil, what it says about the afterlife, what it says about the church, what it says about the second coming of Christ. We're going we're gonna to drill down four weeks each on these issues out of the Scriptures. And uh, I'll say something. You say, well, only a, only a pastor would say this or only a teacher would say this. But there's nothing more exciting than theology. You can laugh. Yeah. Now, here's what I mean by that. Theology simply means the knowledge of God himself. Oh. I mean, that we can know not about God, only about God. We can know God, to know God and to know what he says about truth. Nothing's more important. Nothing's more exciting because it has implications for every segment of our society, every segment of your life. Nothing is more exciting than to know God and to know what he says is true and right and so about every area of our life, our marriage, our relationships, our finances, uh, our culture, our societies about war and peace and hunger and, and, and uh, poverty and all these. Nothing's more important than knowing God and knowing what He says is true about these things. We're going to try to get to that. Now, you and I need this. Those of you here who are outsiders, you're, you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you're still checking things out, you need this because you need to get clarity. I mean, you need to get crystal clear on what Jesus says, who he claims to be, and, and what the Christian life is all about so that you can then make, make an intelligent, informed decision about committing your life to Christ or rejecting Christ. I mean, Jesus himself said it. It's recorded in, in the Gospels. He said you should count the cost before you follow me. And so you need to take this year and count the cost. See if, hey, should I be spending any of my time uh, on, on this Jesus and the things of God or not? Those of us who are already insiders, we need this because we need to mature in our faith. We need to mature in our understanding of the Scriptures. We need to mature in our understanding of the Christian life. We need to mature in our biblical uh, Christ worldview. Uh, so that we can articulate the faith, so that we can reason and defend the faith, so that, that we can influence others who are outside to come inside the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, we all need this because God's truth... Listen, let me see, let me see your eyes. God's truth or, or, or theology or, or doctrine, if you want to call it that, is the fundamental source of personal spiritual growth and certainly of stability. 
in our lives. It is the underpinning of a healthy family. How's your family doing? If your family's all goofed up and upside down, it may be because your theology's all screwed up. I mean, nothings, it's the foundation of getting a healthy family in order. It's the foundation for the starting point of, of high-impact, godly, right, helpful leadership in the world, whether it's leadership all the way from the playground to the palace. And um, uh, it's the foundation. If your leadership is all goofed up, it may be because you don't understand uh, the theology that God has, how He created leadership to be. It's the foundation for the basis of your eternal reward in heaven. It's the foundation and the determining factor, frankly, for the way you live and the way you think and the way you relate. It is the greatest determining factor. Jesus Himself concluded the most famous sermon ever preached on this topic. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. He concluded that entire sermon with a story that many of you are familiar with. And here's how it goes. He said there were, there were two houses that were constructed. One man, a foolish man, constructed his house on a foundation of sand. He built it on the sand. Another man constructed his house. He called him the wise man. He constructed his house on the solid foundation of a rock. Of, of, of bedrock. And he said this, the rains came, the floods came, the winds came, and they beat against those houses. And the man's, the house that was built on the sand, it crumbled, it, it, it crumbled, it fell, it, it was destroyed. However, the house that was built on solid rock, a foundation of solid rock, it stood firm. Even in the midst of the same wind, same storms, same rains that beat against those houses, it stood firm. Here's the way he wrapped it up in Matthew chapter 7 verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, Eugene Peterson, the translator of the message, paraphrase of the Bible, uh, translated this verse this way. Jesus is speaking. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. You need words to build a life on. I need words to build a life on. We're going to take the year of 2009 and open the Bible and give you words to build your life on so that when the winds come and they will come, when the storms come and they will come, when the rains come and they will come, God said they would in this life, you won't be blown away. You won't be destroyed. Words to build your life on. And we're going to begin with the first of the four-week series this weekend. We're calling it Illuminate. It's, um, it's about the Bible, what we believe about the Bible, why we believe it, and why it's important, and then what we should do about it. We're going to take four weekend services uh, to do this. This is designed to, to help you... Uh, Build your, build your trust in the Bible. Build, uh, build your, uh, your confidence in the reliability of the Bible uh, and to teach you how to handle the Bible responsibly so that you get the maximum help from it. And so um, that's what we're going to do. Now, the key verse, in fact, it's the memory verse for all of us for this, this uh, month, the month of January. Is going to, I think it's going to be on the screen. Do we have Psalm 119, 105? Do we have that on a slide? Okay, that's okay. Here's how it goes. John, is it in your notes? Psalm 119, 105, read it with me. Here we go. 
Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word is a lamp, circle that word, unto my feet and a light, circle that word, unto my path. Lamp, light, that's where we get the the word illuminate. God's word brings uh, light to us. For living, direction, guidance, protection, Psalm 119, 105. Now, the next part of your note sheet, you can draw lines through. I'm not going to talk about any of that. I'm going to talk about the stuff that's on the backside. Don't have enough time. Got to come back next week. So you can write all over both sides, but I'm talking about what's on the second, on the backside of your, your note sheet there. Now, let's, let's, let's set it up this way. You ready? Tim, let's set it up this way. You, you like a cup of coffee. I recognized. Let's assume that you're, you're sitting next to a friend today who's never attended uh, a church service, at least in their adult life. And, and when you leave here today, uh, you're going to go by and either get a bite to eat or, or go to a coffee shop and grab a cup of coffee. And as you do, you begin talking about what we talked about this morning, about this issue of, of the claim that the Bible is a unique book. It's a historical book. It's a powerful book. It's a It's a book given by God. In fact, if you go to our website and check our faith statement on the article on what we believe about the Bible, we start with one sentence. The Bible, dash, God wrote a book. God wrote a book. And so you begin to discuss that, and your friend raises this question. They say something like this. Now, I'm sure the Bible is a great book, and I'm glad it's helpful to you, but how is it different from any other great book? Or is it different from any other great book? I mean, it bothers me that sometimes Christians act as if the Bible is the only holy book, like they have a corner on the truth or something. And I, I'd like to have your trust in the Bible, but it's hard for me to get past the fact that people just like you and me wrote it, that it's been changed so much over the years. And anyway, it's so hard to understand. Well, what would you say to them? I'm going to tell you what you'd say to him beginning this morning. Now, I think your friend raised three legitimate, very good questions that deserve answers. And so let's take a look at the first one. How do we know that the Bible came from God? If we believe that the Bible came to us from God, we do believe that he inspired uh, men uh, to, to write the words as he intended for them to be written. He inspired them to give the book to us. Yes, it was recorded by men, inspired by God. Uh, If we believe that the Bible came from God, how do we know it? How do we know it? Well, there are four, count them, there are four classical proofs uh, for the reliability, the authority, the credibility of, of the Bible. There is external evidence, there's internal evidence, there's personal evidence, and there's the evidence of the Lord Jesus himself. Let's take a look at those today. Uh, they, first of all, let's, let's take a look at the first proof, which is external evidence. You'll see that the external evidence uh, says that the Bible is a historical book. Some say, well, why do you read the Bible? It's just a novel. It's just a bunch of made-up stories. Well, that's not the, what the Bible claims for itself. It claims to be a historical book. And we believe the external proof shows that the Bible is historical. Now, by external, I mean it's evidence that's outside the pages of the Bible itself. Like, like this, for example. Like the, the number of manuscripts and uh, copies, ancient copies and manuscripts of the, of the Bible, and the short length of time between the original manuscripts and the first copies of the New Testament. And let me, let me explain by reading this quote. Um, Dr. Norman Giesler, who's a, a great philosopher, Christian apologist, uh, I think he's still the president of Southern Evangelical Seminary in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. He wrote this in one of his books. Let me read it to you. For the New Testament, 
the evidence is overwhelming. There are 5,366 manuscripts to compare, ancient manuscripts to compare and draw information from, and some of these date from the 2nd or 3rd centuries. To put that in perspective, there are only 643 copies of Homer's Iliad, and that's the most famous book of ancient Greece. No one doubts the existence of Julius Caesar's Gallic Wars, but we only have 10 copies of it. And the earliest of those was made 1,000 years after the original was written. To have such an abundance of copies of the New Testament from dates within 70 years after their writing is amazing. It's amazing. Now, there's some, there's, uh, some additional external evidence that, uh, that gives us a sense of credibility about the Bible. And it's the way that the Old Testament, the Jewish scribes, they were the Old Testament copyists in the Jewish faith. Uh, their guidelines for making copies of the Old Testament books. Let me, let me, here's, here were their rules that they followed meticulously. They said that each scroll, now they recorded these on a scroll, each scroll must contain a specified number of columns, all equal throughout the entire book. The length of each column must not be less than 48 lines or more than 60 lines. Each column's width must be exactly 30 letters. The copyist must use a specially prepared black ink. Uh, they could not copy from memory. The space between... Listen, I like this one. They had a thread and this was the deal. The space between every consonant must be the size of a thread. They write a consonant, put the thread down. Wow. Wow. The copyist had to sit in full Jewish dress when they were doing this. Uh, the copyist must use a fresh quill to pen the sacred name of God. Here's the picture. A quill and ink. When they came to the name of God in the Scriptures, every time they picked up a brand new quill and they used it one time. They wrote the sacred name of God. They held the name of God in the Holy Scriptures in such high reverence uh, that they would not stop writing the name of God even if a king came into their presence. They, they just wouldn't do it. They just would not do that. Now, they later added these requirements. They could copy only letter by letter, not word by word. Letter by letter, not word by word. And they counted, this, this wiped me out now. Here, here we go. They counted the number of times each letter of the alphabet was used in each book every time it occurred in every book of the Old Testament. And they counted them. And if they counted and it came out wrong, they threw the scroll away. They destroyed it, started over. They knew the middle letter, for example, of the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is the name for the first five books of the Old Testament. They knew the middle letter of the first five books of the Old Testament. And so they would, after copying a scroll of the entire first five books of the Old Testament, they would count forward and backward from the middle letter. And if the number of letters didn't match what they knew to be correct, they destroyed the scroll and started over. I mean, this is serious. This is, this is the kind of meticulous work that went into keeping the integrity of the copies of the Scriptures. The external evidence uh, gives us great reason to be confident. But, but I think the one that, that um, the area that most excites me are, is the contribution of the modern science of archaeology to the historicity of the Scriptures. 
uh, archaeology uh, has has affirmed the historic the historicity of the people and the places in uh, the Bible uh, all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, for example, arguably the most famous archaeological discovery of the, of the past century has been the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in 11 caves uh, in the old ancient Qumran uh, community area of the Dead Sea. And when these scrolls were discovered, they found that there were copies, full copies, complete copies of every single book in the Old Testament there. Every single one was represented. These copies were dated at approximately 100 A.D., 100 A.D., until they were discovered in 1947, between 1947 and 1956, the earliest copies of Old Testament books, the earliest manuscripts that we had uh, in hand were dated about 900 A.D., almost a thousand years later. When the Dead Sea Scrolls were put up on the table and compared to the copies done a thousand years later, they were virtually identical. Virtually identical. Uh, There was a 5% difference, and that 5% was only in the spelling of words. Nothing about truth or people or places or or doctrine or anything like that. It was amazing. It was amazing. Archaeologists have uncovered uh, many of the places where Old Testament and New Testament events occurred. Uh, for example, for, for years, skeptics, for, for decades and decades, maybe even hundreds of years, skeptics questioned uh, the, the reality of the Hittite nation as mentioned in the Bible. And then archaeologists discovered, unearthed, the capital of the Hittite empire, found it. Legitimized it. Many questioned the outrageous statement in Solomon's writings that he uh, he had chariot cities. He had cities devoted to the keeping of his horses and his chariots, and and boasted in his writings in the Bible that he had one city that contained at least one thousand horses and one thousand chariots. Everybody mocked it. That's impossible. Until they discovered Megiddo, one of Solomon's ancient cities, and there they found the remains of the stables of King Solomon. There were over 1,000 horse stalls there. How many horse people we got here in the crowd? Got a few horse people. How'd you like to muck out his stables? Wow, a 1,000 stalls. They found it right there, legitimized uh, that in the Scriptures. Portions of Herod's temple, uh, the Areopagus in which Paul spoke in Athens, the, the theater in Ephesus where Acts 19 tells us that a great riot occurred, the pool of Siloam, where in John chapter 9 it, uh, we're told a, a blind man uh, was, uh, was healed by the Lord Jesus. Discovery after discovery after discovery Uh, has established the historical accuracy of the Bible. Now, that's not all. There's much more, but we've got to move on. External evidence claims that the Bible is a historical book. But internal evidence, let's take a look at that for a second. The internal evidence says that the Bible is a unique book. It's not only historical, it's one of a kind. It's one of a kind. Now, this is the evidence that you see in the Bible itself. For example... The majority of the Bible is written from eyewitness accounts. 
The vast majority of the Bible was written uh, from eyewitness accounts. Now, we all know the value of eyewitnesses. We've got several attorneys that I've spotted in, in uh, here uh, already this morning. And uh, you guys tell us that uh, the value of an eyewitness to a prosecutor's case. If a prosecutor can bring an eyewitness to testify to something that they personally saw happen, they have a greater chance of winning a conviction, an eyewitness. Well... One piece of evidence that the historians look to when evaluating an ancient document is this. How many generations passed on a story before it was written down? I mean, they want to know, okay, is this written copy, is this first-hand information or is it second-hand information? They want to know that. Well, the events in the Bible were primarily first-hand information. Written by those who were there. I mean, Moses was there when God split the Red Sea. Uh, Joshua was there when the walls of Jericho fell. The disciples were there in the upper room when the risen, resurrected Lord Jesus from the dead showed up. And they wrote it as eyewitnesses. Eyewitness accounts. There's more internal evidence. And, 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 and here's uh, one of the amazing pieces of internal evidence. It is the astounding agreement and consistency, unity of the Bible on hundreds of, of topics. Hundreds of issues. Uh, let, me, let me quote Josh McDowell, who's a, an author and speaker, Christian apologist. In one of his books, here's what he writes. Let me read it to you. The Bible was written over a period of about 1,500 years in various places stretching all the way from Babylon to Rome. The human authors included over 40 persons from various stations of life. Kings, peasants, poets, herdsmen, fishermen, scientists, farmers, priests, pastors, tent makers, and governors. It was written in a wilderness, a dungeon, inside palaces and prisons, on lonely islands and in military battles. Yet it speaks with agreement and reliability on hundreds of controversial subjects. It tells one story from beginning to end, God's salvation of man through Jesus Christ. No one person could have possibly conceived of or written such a work. The Bible is unique. It is unique. The external evidence says it's a historical book. The internal evidence says it's unique. It's one of a kind. One of a kind. But that's not all. There's personal evidence. And the personal evidence says that the Bible is a powerful book. It's not only historical. It's not only one of a kind. It's incredibly powerful. It speaks of the power of God, the power of the Word of God. You see, the Bible is the world's best-selling book. It is the first major book to be printed on a press. Uh, it has been translated in whole or in part into over 1,300 languages. Billions, not millions, billions of people's lives have been transformed for the better through the power of the Word of God, the Bible. And, and look at me. I'm one. I'm one of them. I'm living proof that the Bible is a powerful book. If you just knew me before and you can't, and that can't bring you back, but doggone it, I wish you could. It's a powerful book in my life. And many of you can testify to the same thing. Has your life been changed by the power of the Word of God? Let me see your hands. Has it? People all over the place. Now look at them. Do they look like liars to you? Some of them are, but I'm not telling which ones. Yeah, it's a powerful book. Now, given, given this, personal evidence, personal testimony is completely subjective. It's subjective evidence. And, and people give personal testimony to, to, to the help 
they receive from different sources all the time. There are people who, who give personal testimony that they have been helped by the Book of Mormon. There are people who give personal testimony that they have been healed by the con- I mean, uh, helped by the content of the Koran. There are people who give personal testimony that a line from the latest Indiana Jones movie inspired them. I don't, you know, that's all personal testimony. It's completely subjective. That means it's one person's account of what happened to them with no objective proof. The good news is the Bible, in the Bible, we see it shown to be reliable by both objective proof and subjective experience. I mean, you can see in the facts of archaeology and history and you can see in the personal experience of billions of people that the Bible is a book powerful enough to change lives. So you see, the Bible is historical it's unique, it's one of a kind, it's powerful, but I think the, the most convincing proof for me is Jesus himself. Jesus himself said that the Bible came from God. Have you ever, have you ever heard someone, I'm hearing, this, I'm hearing this more and more lately. Well, pastor, I just read the red letters. You ever hear that? You do that? I just read the red letters. I mean, I have confidence in the words of Jesus, and I don't pay much attention to the rest of the Bible, or I don't have much confidence in the rest of the Bible. I have confidence in Jesus, but, you know, the rest of the stuff I kind of leave alone. Well, it's interesting. That's very interesting. Because Jesus, in the red letters, the red letters, he expressed incredible confidence in the Bible. He said that it came from God. And so if you're going to take Jesus seriously, you've got to take the Bible serious. You don't have an option. You don't have that silly option. You've got to take it very seriously. For example, Jesus recognized God the Holy Spirit as the author. Take a look on the screen at um, Matthew chapter 22, verse 43 and 44. He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking of King David and his writings in the Old Testament book of the Psalms, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord. He, he believed that the Holy Spirit was the, was the author. Jesus also quoted the Bible as authoritative. Matthew chapter 22, verse 29, Jesus said it this way, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. It's authoritative, Jesus said. Jesus also proclaimed the Bible's uniqueness in Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. Jesus said, I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter... Not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now, you don't have this one in your notes nor on the screen, but in a little verse, jot this down. John chapter 10, verse 35. John chapter 10, verse 35. Jesus summed it up in four little words, Billy. Here's what he said. He said, the Scriptures... He says this way, and I was adding a word. Scripture is always true. Scripture is always true. He's talking from front to back, front to back. Jesus believed it to be authoritative. Jesus, Jesus believed that the people and the places uh, in, in, stated in the Bible were real. They were historical. He believed that, um, he believed that uh, the prophets were uh, real people. He believed that Noah and Adam and Eve and Sodom and Gomorrah and Jonah, he spoke of them as if they were historical figures. Well, we got to deal with that. The external evidence 
says the Bible is a historical book. The internal evidence says the Bible is unique. It's one of a kind. The personal evidence of billions of people says that the Bible is as powerful as it claims to be as the Word of God. And the testimony of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ Himself, the words of Jesus Himself, uh, he believed. He believed it came from God. Now, since this is true, since the Bible is historical, unique, powerful, credible, reliable, authoritative, and true, then what the Bible says about you, what the Bible says about me, is true. It's accurate. It's clear. And here's some of the things it says. It says that people just like you and me are sinful people who need a Savior. It says that all people fall short of the glory of God. It says that all we, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. It says that the wages of our sin is death. The the natural outcome of our sin is death. Living death here, spiritual death in eternity, separated from God forever. It says also that Jesus is the Savior, that he died on the cross and made a way for you and me. That He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. That's what the Bible says. It also says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, will be forgiven, will be cleansed, will be accepted fully by God, will be transformed for the better. That's what it says. And and if you've never taken that step, now's a good time. Since the Bible is true, historical, unique, powerful, reliable, authoritative. you got to deal with that. you got to pay attention to that. And if you're not yet a believer, now's the time to take action to receive Christ. And so I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. Would you pray with me? We're not going to do anything embarrassing or make you do anything weird. Just, just remain seated, everyone, and just turn the place where you're seated into your own personal place of prayer. If you have never trusted Christ, if you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never decided to become a follower of Jesus, you can do so right now by just calling out to Him. And I, I'm going to guide you through a prayer. Now, these words of this prayer, there's, there's, nothing, there's no special formula or magic words. Um, God's more concerned with the attitude of your heart than He is the words of your mouth. But if this prayer expresses your attitude about yourself and about Christ and your desire to be saved, then pray it to Him from your heart silently. Follow along. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for making me and loving me. Even when I've ignored you and gone my own way. I realize and admit that you have not been first place in my life. I need you and I'm sorry for my sin. I ask you to forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Now please come into my life. Bring me back to a new relationship with you. And make me a new person inside. Give me the assurance of a home with you in heaven when I die.
As much as I know how and understand, I commit to follow you from now on. I accept your gift of salvation. Now, please help me to grow in my faith. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for hearing these prayers. I want to thank you for every man and woman and boy and girl who now for the first time place their trust in you alone for their salvation, for their forgiveness, for their cleansing, for their acceptance, uh, for their eternal life. And Lord, I pray that you'd assure them and I pray that you'd make our church a place where they can now grow in their relationship with you. Lord, I thank you for all the people here who are already believers. I pray that you would help us this month to make your word a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I pray that you'd help us to memorize this verse, make it one of our life verses. Lord, I pray that that people here would accept the one-year challenge to take your word and read the Bible through in 2009. So, Lord, do this work in us. Across this month, help us to get clarity on what we believe about your word, why we believe it, why it's important, and what we are to do because this is true. And we give thanks to you for these things. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.